welcome back to this episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast. And guys, even though the NBA Finals ended a few weeks ago, and shout out to the Milwaukee Bucks yet again for doing something they haven't done in 50 years. And we'll get into a little bit more of doing things we haven't done in a long time a little bit later. But shout out to the Milwaukee Bucks for winning. But even though the NBA season is over, basketball just keeps on rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling it does but before we get into all of that as always i'm jerry castillo and i'm joined by um i don't really have anything important to say so i'm daniel Hen, and i'm joined by well that's a first daniel i was i was waiting for it you know all the fans look forward to your spills you have in the beginning but the nba season is never over we have off season reality show is about to kick in it's your boy really real jarell sales and G, that's a great topic. That's a great segue, I should say, because you said it's a reality show. And man, Team USA is at the forefront because coming into this, a lot of people were saying, you know what, Team USA, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant, Bam Adebayo, that five will just decimate all. Well, after after losing to Nigeria and Australia in I guess upsets, if you want to call it that, which I'll get to in a little bit. They lost five players. Well, actually, no, they didn't have they didn't lose five players. They went into the Olympics basically with seven players because they lost Bradley Beal and Kevin Love. Then they had to pick two other players, JaVale McGee and Keldon Johnson, with about three days left to go before the Olympics started. And then on the day before their first game, I think, two one or two days before they got to Tokyo to play the first game. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Devin Booker arrived in Tokyo. So, as you all know, and as everyone knows who follows basketball, the Team USA lost to France. And I honestly don't think that the 83-76 box score does it any justice because that was a very close game. For a group that came together so late, and for a group that came together just basically on the fly, it wasn't that bad. It honestly was not that bad. I mean, the last possession, Kevin Durant, was it Drew Holiday, Damian Lillard, Zach Levine, all had good shots. They just missed. It was tied to think 76-76 or something like that. It was a pretty close game up until that point with less than a minute left. But the United States lost. And for me personally, I don't think that is something we should all be like super concerned about because if you look at the French squad, they're they're stacked. Like I don't know if you want to call them stacked because you know that's just my opinion. But for me, they're stacked because they got Frank Nilakina, who was a DNP. They got TLC. They got Nicholas Batum, Gershon Yabusele, Evan Fournier, who went off, Nanda Decolo, and Rudy Gobert. That is a solid starting five. Like I think that people are just kind of overplaying the situation between the the u.s and whatever they they find themselves in now but what do you guys think uh i agreed with most of your points uh you said there jared honestly the reason why this squad this olympic team is kind of getting off to a cold start right now is because it you know the nba season has just has just barely ended right and it wasn't like your typical nba season if this was your typical nba season this this team would have gotten much more time together and, and they would have had a couple more weeks to spare. But no, we didn't get that. The finals just barely ended like a few days back. 
So, I mean, a lot of these struggles I can point back point to like this team is just coming together on the fly right now. These like like he said, Devin Booker, Chris Middleton barely just arrived in Tokyo. A, a little bit of struggle is to be expected. But at the same time, I'm not I mean, I don't think I'm going to be I don't think we should be worried about this. It's just I think this team by far is the strongest in this Olympic tournament. And at the end of the day, if the USA loses, it's it, I'm not complaining. I mean, the the U.S. has won the gold medal in I don't know the last what three Olympics. It's been it's been a while since we lost. Um, and oh four, yeah, yeah. And it honestly, us losing would honestly be kind of a good thing. I mean, I know it's kind of weird to say that, but it it kind of shows how much the game has grown. Basketball is now a global game. Look, Luka Doncic. We're gonna get that to get that to a little later, but he's destroyed. He just destroyed his competition. The 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 gap between international players and the United States is shrinking, and that's that's great news. That means the sport is progressing. The I mean, if basketball is gonna keep telling itself it's a global sport, the competition and the and disparity between the U.S. can't be this large forever. I mean, the U.S. can't win everything. I mean, it it's just you know, let's have some competition. That's where that's how things become fun. Yeah. And G, before you hop in here, I just want to point out that I read somewhere that in 1992, the U.S. went undefeated, obviously, Dream Team. They had a margin of victory of 30 some odd points per game. Right. You know, fast forward a few years, that margin went down to 20 and keep fast forwarding until 2004. And all of a sudden, teams are actually legitimately beating the U.S. to the point where they had to overhaul their entire U.S. basketball system for 2008, 2012, 2016. And now 2020, we're just seeing that kind of progression again. Because in 1992, U.S. won gold. 1996, they won gold. 2000, they won gold. 2004, they won bronze. So this could be the cyclical kind of moment the United States finds itself in because teams are very, very good now. And you mentioned Luka Doncic, we'll get to later. And just this French team, because it had, like, what? Rudy Gobert, what is it, a two- or three-time defensive player of the year already? So these teams are stacked. But go ahead, G. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, no worries. No worries at all. Um, Just much to what Daniel said, uh, you know, Team USA hasn't had a lot of time. Don't want to bring up excuses, but I want to talk about the other international teams that are – They've had the not the entire year, but a lot more time together. Uh, they play with each other throughout the year. And a lot of players are being more prideful about where they came from. You know what I'm saying? Think about it. Kyrie Irving is American, but he was born. He's he's Australian, too. Like this. Think about if Ky- Kyrie Irving played for his national team. We talk about the dream team in 92. Patrick Ewing, he's American, but he's also Jamaican. So there's a lot of players nowadays that may be born in the U.S. or maybe born in another country. And they're just having so much pride. We're almost 50-50 when it comes to um, Americans and international players in the NBA. And I'm pretty sure that Jared's going to give me an exact number. Go ahead. Not exactly an, an exact number, but case in point, Bam Adebayo. He had a choice to play for Nigeria or the United States. He chose the United States. Exactly. So just players being more prideful. It's a good thing to have this competition. Um, and much to what's been already um, reported out in public on Twitter, whatever you social media you're following with the Damian Lillard and Evan Fournier comments. But yeah, the U S this, this team, this team USA, 
we are we're talented. Yes, we are individually. And I that that was the perfect way of saying it. Um, in an international FIBA ball, it's more team aspect. And that's what we're seeing. It's a prime example of that. You can be the best one on one player. But if you can't play as a team, you know, that's why I feel like this team USA has been constructed really weird. I don't really like the construction of it. Um, just feels like just a whole bunch of players just thrown out there and go get the gold medal. That's not how basketball is, especially in FIBA. They're looking for all of these calls and want to complain about some you got to go out there. Damn, I feel like I haven't cussed in a while on this podcast, but uh, you got to go out there and, and play team ball. So we'll see how they uh, bounce back in this next game. Again, who are they playing against again, Jared? They're playing against Iran on Wednesday, July 28th at 9.40 Pacific time, 9.40 p.m. Pacific time. But going to your point about the team aspect of the game, you have to take into account, like, these teams, they stay forever. They stay together forever. And we'll talk about Argentina because their golden generation of teams were together for a really, really long time. And so even if there is, like, you know, an NBA break, I guess, they they still have the wherewithal and the you know, the structural knowledge of how the offense is going to run, how the defense is going to run, because they have the same coach, they play with the same players, and they there's barely any turnover from competition to competition because this squad from France you see now, it's probably going to be the same group of guys in the World Cup in a few years, right? And then that same group is still going to be together in 2024. So there's that, you know, people always talk about chemistry as this thing that is super important. Well, these teams are, have been together for multiple tournaments and Olympics, and it just goes to show how important it really is. I mean, I mean, absolutely agree with you, Jared. Chemistry is important. Like, look, look what we just saw in you know the last two, like the past two seasons in the NBA itself. I mean, the the team with the with the most chemistry always finds itself to win it all. Milwaukee and Phoenix got to the finals this year, and the season before, the Clippers were hyped as a team to win it, but they could not. They struggled to develop chemistry and, and you know, all season long. And they look what happened to them. They lost. And the Lakers, with the best chemistry, ultimately won the chip. So, yeah, chemistry, I mean, basketball, like, people like to rag on it, rag on it all the time. It's like, oh, it's a one-man sport. No. Chem- like, basketball, honestly, in my opinion, is one of the more chemistry, like, you know, bound sports that is. So, it, 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 just, it just goes to show you, like, if Team USA is serious about winning the gold medal, you're going to have to find a way to um, develop chemistry and, and very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that is really eye-opening about Team USA, right? Again, they can they can destroy teams individually, but when it comes to that situation where, okay, we need to play as a team, and G, you kind of like lambasted the addition of Keldon Johnson and JaVale McGee. Well, those players know what their roles are, Right. The thing with Team USA is there's too many number one options. Who is willing to take this the step back? Kind of like with the previous Olympic teams because everyone knew Carmelo was the guy. And so they just gave Carmelo the ball because he was more versed in playing the FIBA style of, of play, right? Because it was FIBA's more physical and there's a lot more going down in the block. And so Carmelo, because of his body type, he just adapted well to it. Players like, you know, KD, no offense, or like Dame Lillard, who's they're used to getting fouls almost every single time. That's not how it's going to go now. And they kind of have to adjust to, to FIBA. And I was watching um, one of Peacock's shows called For Ball and Country. I told you guys about this. And one of the things that Team USA outlined was just how much they have to shift their mindset to adapt to FIBA style. So, I don't know. I mean, 
just a, a question to you guys then. What do you guys think of all the people on social media freaking out that the United States has lost, what, three of its five contests thus far? Any thoughts on that? It's it's an overreaction. Like I said before, this is the best team in, in the tourney, um, in my opinion. I mean, like, as far as international, the gap between international players and U.S. players goes, it's still pretty wide. It's just, it's starting to narrow, though. But we're still, we're still, we still have the best group of players out of any nation here. So it, it's just, and like I said before, people were forgetting, like, hey, the NBA season has barely ended. Like you're, you're gonna, you're throwing guys in, you know, in out of left field. So of course we're gonna struggle. But people need to understand, like, even if the U.S. loses, no, that's not, that's not really a bad thing at all. Like competition is good. I long for the day where, like. You know, basketball, international basketball is something like fans can really talk about and and like really get excited about that, like knowing that, hey, we're going to we're, we're going to get a good show out of this. Like, you know, I I hope one day that basketball becomes more similar to sports like soccer, even hockey, where the international scene is so competitive, like you just can't help but get excited about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're seeing here. Uh I, I, I get why people are upset. Competition. You get upset when you lose. This is your country you're going for. And we're not really topping every event when it comes to the Olympics. And basketball was supposed to be our thing, right? So as an American, America, proud American, you're going to go for your squad. So it's just like the NBA, right? The Lakers lost. We're going to get upset. This is Team USA. This is our Lakers, Daniel. So, of course, people are going to be upset. They're going to trash the team. They're going to trash all that shit. Because that's what comes when it that's 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 part of the competition. So I understand why people are blowing it out of proportion because that's that's how it is with sports. Fair enough. I mean the thing with the thing with Team USA is that their next two games, again, like I mentioned, Iran on July twenty eighth and Czech Republic on July thirty first, those are very easily winnable games because Iran they have one probably recognizable name in Hamed Hadadi, shout out. And with the Czech Republic, they basically have Tomas Sadoransky and Jan Vesely. So those are two easily winnable games. But if you look at the if you look at the competition in the other groups, I mean, you can pretty honestly find a an NBA level caliber player in each of the groups. Because in group B you have Australia, which obviously Joe Ingles, Patty Mills, and all of them. Italy, you have Nico Mannion and Andrea Bargnani, if he was still playing, and Marco Bellinelli on the Italian squad, if they were still playing. Germany, you have um, who? We had Dirk. Dirk, got, yeah. Uh, Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder, yeah. And there's like, there used to be a Chicago Bull. I forgot what his name was, but he was German too. And you got Nigeria with Chimezi Metu and a bunch of other guys, Gabe Vincent, that are NBA caliber players. That's Group B. In Group C, you have Slovenia, Spain, Japan, and Argentina. We can all name players in the NBA right now or have played in the NBA from each of those squads. That just goes to show how much the game has expanded. And, you know, we mentioned Slovenia. And, well, what can't Luka Doncic do? Because, get this, he's only 22, but he single-handedly destroyed Argentina, going off for 48 points and 11 rebounds in the 118-100 win over, like the aforementioned, Argentina. So the 48 he scored is this 
is the best scoring mark by a European player. It's his personal career high because he had 46 in the NBA. It's tied for the second most in a single Olympics basketball game. Oscar Smith, who's from Brazil, he had 55 in 1988. And Eddie Palubinskis had 48 in 1976 for Australia. Okay, again, Luka Doncic is 22. He scored 48 in his first and Slovenia's first Olympic game. What in the world can this kid not do? Like, any thoughts on on Luka Doncic's dem- demolition of Argentina? I mean, Luis Cola was there too, and Facundo Campazzo and Gabriel Deck. Speaking of NBA players, but yeah, thoughts on Luka Doncic demolishing the competition? Um, it's just a symbolic gesture of how much international talent have, has come so far in the NBA over the last course of, I, mean, I don't know, the last two to three decades. I mean, it's just the game is changing. The game is changing. Um, um, basketball used to be the, used to be synonymous with you know with America. It was it was a bona fide American sport, but now it's it's become it's we are in a era of transition now. Where like we had the early two thousands, we started seeing signs, but now we are fully into the middle of it. Where basketball is slowly becoming this formerly U.S. centric game into a, a fully international game on the likes of you know soccer and and other sports like even like rugby and and cricket. It's basketball. It's just it's just a sign of the progression of what's to come. And it's honestly, as a basketball fan and a fanatic my whole life, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to see this happen. I agree. It really is exciting. I I think we should just admire how great of a player Luka Doncic is. I I understand you're thinking about the future, (laughs) but this, this has never, we, we haven't seen anything like this only on two other, uh, one other occasion with the same amount of points and higher. So for him at 22 years old, not only dominating the NBA, we would, we would expect that he'll come in FIBA uh, competition and dominate here as well. He is probably going to go down as the best international player ever. Uh, he's already on the verge of it. He's an MVP conversation. Uh, Luka Doncic is a, is a generational talent here. He's on, he's getting to the, the ranks of um, uh, MJ, in my opinion, not, not there with the six rings, but just that, that status, especially representing his country and putting the team on his back. So this is amazing. And it's I, like Daniel said, is exciting. I'll be real. Um, Luka Doncic with the way he's playing. I know it's kind of too early of his, in his career, but he's playing like a top 10 all-time great player as of right now. Yeah. No doubt. If like the way we're talking about Giannis after winning the championship, if we, if Luca keeps on going on that, I guess, ascension progression that he's on, it's very easy to see him as a top seven player by the end of his career, because I'm assuming he's going to have a very long and successful career. So no doubt he's probably top seven by the end of it. The only thing we have to see now is the success with the the accolades and the accomplishments because the stats wise, let, let hear me out. Russell Westbrook puts up triple double numbers and he still has the achievements. So it has to equate some more success. If Luka Doncic has an iconic moment where he can lead his uh, country to a bronze silver, uh, he can get an MVP, he can get a championship. Yes, I can say top 10 for sure. But I see the ascension there. We just want to see the success too. Yeah, uh, and I think, go ahead, go ahead, really oh, quickly. Sorry, sorry for interrupting, but 
just wanted to add with the style of ball he plays, we're going to see Luka Doncic for years to come. Um, with the style of play, he's going to have a very long prime. And expect, do not be surprised if Luka Doncic ends up playing, having Reggie Miller or like, you know, even uh, Kobe Bryant type of longevity, where like with the way technology has advanced, like, do not be shocked at all if, you, if, you know, years down the line, Luka Doncic is 40 and is still playing good basketball. That's how good he's going to be. That's how long he's going to last, in my opinion. Yeah, he's like a taller Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd mm-hmm. played until he was 40, so it's very easy to see Luka play until he's 40. He's very down low to the ground, and you know he's very much just a grounded player. But I think when it comes to medals, G, you mentioned you know potentially a bronze or a silver. I think their best choice, Slovenia as a whole, their best choice of winning is probably at like the World Cups because the World Cups, it's n- Team USA is not going to field their best guys. They're just not. No. So th- I think that's their best shot because in Slovenia, I guess their best play, their second best player apart from Luka is who? Zoran Dragic because Goran's not going to play anymore. So I don't know. It just, if, if Luka can put, you know, Slovenia on his back like he did with the Mavs, there's no way they cannot win a, uh, a championship or, you know, a ring or whatever, a medal. But that said, Luis Scola is still playing. Facundo Campazzo is still playing. Gabriel Deck is still playing. But one more Olympic thing here before we get into some NBA news. So Ricky Rubio went off for 20 points and 9 assists as Spain beats Japan 88-77. Rui hmm. Hashimura had 20 points and Yuta Watanabe filled up the stat sheet with 19 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, and 5 steals. Very interesting. Even though the Spanish team is still together, Pau Gasol is still playing. By the way, he's still around. But uh, damn, yeah, really, some really quick NBA news now because things have happened. The Lakers have reportedly offered Kyle. I I'm the doctor. It says Kylo, but it's Kyle Kuzma <laughs> and KCP to almost every team in the league, according to Woj. <laughs> and I saw on on Twitter somewhere. I don't know if this is true or not, but the Lakers are finalizing a four-year, $120 million extension with Dennis Schroeder, we believe. Wow. He is our point guard next to LeBron, AD, and Drummond long-term per Genie Bus. Again, I don't know if that's true or not. I just saw it on Twitter. Probably shouldn't say that, but if that is true, that is very weird. Thoughts on this as Laker fans, especially the Kyle Kuzma and KCP to every team in the league comment? Um. I'm not surprised with the with the talk of Kyle Kuzma being offered to every team. I'm be honest. Um, I mean, obviously, as a Lakers fan, um, I don't really enjoy having Kyle Kuzma anymore. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's straight up trash. Um, but uh, the 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 Schroeder thing is kind of weird. I don't really believe it because like Dennis Schroeder has kind of given given the feeling that he's going to bolt after the season, and the Lakers haven't really exactly budged. And giving him money, and plus, as a as a Laker fan, I'm not exactly a fan of keeping Schroeder. I just did not like the way he things turned out in the playoffs and towards the end of the regular season. And I was kind of a little bit bothered about how Schroeder kind of acted in that in that playoff series against Phoenix. So I kind of hope that second part isn't exactly true, but I'll be very shocked if it was. Very shocked. Fair. 
Um, not shocked with the Woj bomb of Kyle Kuzma and KCP. It's it's a known fact that the Lakers yeah. are trying to improve their roster and we don't have assets. Those are only two assets that we really have on contract that has any trade value. So, of course, those two are going to be thrown out there because we're trying to get something in return. Um, I know that the Sacramento Kings and Buddy Hield has been a, a talk of discussion with for Kyle Kuzma and KCP swap. So that's interesting. Uh, I don't know who said that. The, the quote, we believe he's our point guard next to LeBron and AD and Drummond, because I've read somewhere that the Lakers aren't uh, aren't thinking that Schroeder is a starting point guard. There's no way in hell. I'm sorry, Dennis Schroeder, for you to be a starting point guard in the NBA. Ah, I know I'm not a, the, the most uh, credible ana- analyst when it comes to NBA news, but I've been on this podcast long enough and I watched mm-hmm. basketball long enough and I played 2K long enough to know that Dennis Schroeder is perfect in that spot of the six men, but he had his chance. This was your audition. And there's no way in hell if I'm the Lakers that I'm going to pay him four years, $120 million to stay on the roster. We can use it in a sign and trade deal. And honestly, I don't know any other team that would want to do that. Why would you pay 15, five and three for $120 million? You're shooting yourself in the foot for that, that type of production. Unfortunately, Dennis Schroeder is not that guy. So that, that quote right there, just sets me off. We can have so many discussions about these rumors and stuff and off season acquisitions, but y'all gonna have to stick to stay tuned to our future episodes about all of that jazz. Yeah. Chances are it's, it's just made up jazz too. So it's just something to drum up, like we talked about a few days ago, just kind of like drumming up, you know, interest to see what happens. But speaking of trades, really quickly here before we run out of time, the Pelicans traded Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe, the 10th and 40th picks, and the Lakers' 2022nd first-round pick, which is top 10 protected, to the Grizzlies for Jonas Valanciunas, the 17th pick, and the 51st pick. This gives the Pelicans room to mat room. It gives the Pelicans room enough you know, to match Lonzo if they want to offer him an offer sheet or to try and get Kyle Lowry. And Valanciunas is also eligible for an extension. Very quick thoughts on this. Does it move the needle in either direction? No, not really. Honestly, like this was just Tuesday. Um, None of these players were, in my opinion, um, we're going to, you know, they're serviceable players, but they don't really move the needle anywhere. Fair. Um. This is a great trade for the Pelicans. They offload Eric Bledsoe's contract. Uh, Steven Adams wasn't a long-term part of this organization, and they signed him to an extension. So I think this was good. They moved down. They still get a, a, a top 20 pick. Uh, for the Grizzlies, this is a solid trade because they're not going to keep Eric Bledsoe. Uh, Steven Adams gives you just about the same production as, as Jonas Valanciunas, probably a little less rebounding, and now they have a top 10 pick. So I think this is a great trade for both teams. They they both executed what they need, what they wanted. And let's see what the, the Grizzlies can do with building up that core with JJJ, uh, Triple J, and uh, what's his name, John Morant. So I think this is a good trade on both sides. Yeah, and I also saw that um, the Grizzlies are going to try and move up still because they have the 10th pick. They want to move higher up. So we'll see how that goes. But, G, you mentioned execution and one very quick hitter here before we wrap things up. Just want to give a big shout out to Hidalyn Diaz because she won the Philippines' first gold medal at the Olympics. That's that explains the backdrop. Um, it's been 97 years in the making. The Philippines first entered in 1924, and for them to wait almost a century to win a gold, and to and the fact that a woman did it of all people just goes to show that it is it's. You, you just have to be proud of the accomplishment that she did, 
97 years that no other man has done. It's just fantastic. But in doing so, she set an Olympic record lifting 224 kilograms, about almost 500 pounds across two successful lifts. And on her second lift or second set, I should say, she lifted 127 kilograms, equating to about 280 pounds, which is another Olympic record to beat China's well, to beat China and Kazakhstan. So big shout out to her. She's um, when I saw the news this morning that she did it and I watched her just welling up in tears. I was just like, I almost lost it because that is just incredible stuff from her. But yeah. Shout out to Hidalin Diaz making the Filipinos proud for the first uh, for the first time in a very long time with the Olympics. But um, yeah. Anyways, um, don't forget to subscribe to the Shooting Bricks podcast and leave a review on your platform of choice. It really helps us out. Lastly, make sure to follow us on at Podcast Bricks on Twitter, at Shooting Bricks Podcast on Instagram, and at the Shooting Bricks Podcast on YouTube for all the news and the video of this episode of the Shooting Bricks Podcast. And as always, I'm Jerry Castillo. I'm Daniel Huynh, and I can't really think of anything to say. And joining me as well. Damn. <laughs> and it's your boy, Rally Rail, Jarrell Sales. Keep tuning in, y'all. Keep tuning in. We'll have more episodes throughout the, uh, throughout the weeks, months, days, years. And with that, we will see you guys next time.